Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program where we're going to share a really exciting opportunity with you. And please feel free to share this with others who you know who will also find it of interest. So today, I am really excited to speak to a good friend who I only met once in person and not that long ago, but we've become very close. At least I certainly feel that. And, and I think part of the closeness is how is, is what we've been doing together over the last number of months. Um, I, I put out on a social media post that I was looking for a writer. And I don't even remember if I wrote what I was looking for a writer about, but my friend, and advisory board member of the Genesis 123 Foundation, Christine Darg, sent me a message and said, you have to meet my friend, Leslie Richardson. And so she made a connection and Leslie was here in, in Jerusalem at the time. We got together and had coffee and clicked immediately. And that was the conception of what became a really fabulous project, which we're going to talk about toward the end of the conversation. And, and, the theme that we ended up doing, and I don't even think I know it, Leslie, when we first met, I can't remember if I knew that your book that we that you gave me a copy of and I loved reading, and I'm going to pitch this endlessly if I can uh, if I can remember, Creating Beauty from the Abyss, the amazing story of Sam Herziger, an Auschwitz survivor and artist. Um, Leslie brought me a copy of her book as a gift. And I read it, and I didn't think I knew at the time that Leslie had written a book about a Holocaust survivor. And it was so important because not only is Leslie a really, really, really talented writer, and I don't say that rhetorically, um, I, I get tears in my eyes just thinking of it, the beauty with which you, which, with which you narrated Sam's story, creating beauty from the abyss, does bring tears to, to one's eye. And we were talking about a writing project also regarding another Holocaust survivor. And that's what we're going to get into. Um, I'm going to read the back of the uh, book that we produced, and we'll talk about the front of it in a little bit. But but in every book, there has to be an about the author. So in, in our book together, which we will speak about, Leslie Richardson is an author who was originally from Australia, but has lived many years in the endlessly fascinating city of Jerusalem. In her writing, she loves to focus on the land of Israel and the Bible and to blend literature and theology as she does so. Her latest book about the Holocaust, about Holocaust survivor and artist Sam Herziger is entitled, as I noted, Creating Beauty from the Abyss and is available online everywhere. And actually, when I asked Leslie to help me give text for the bio, that was really it. It was a very modest uh, introduction. Um, Leslie's not looking for lots of um, accolades. She is modest and delightful and engaging. And I've just had such a, a, a privilege getting to know you, if you can't tell. Um, Leslie, welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And thank you for that really wonderful introduction. And um I must say the feeling is quite mutual. It has been really wonderful to meet you. And I really thank you for giving me the opportunity to not only complete one book about a Holocaust survivor, but also another very, very wonderful story. So I'm very grateful that I could have a part to play in that. Indeed. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't know if that's going to be your niche Holocaust stories, 
uh, hereafter, but we'll talk about that as well. Leslie, share a little bit of uh, your background. You're joining us from Australia today. We met in Jerusalem. You had come to Jerusalem from Canada. Um, share a little bit about your background so we, so people listening know who you are and how we got here. Okay, so I was born in Australia, as you mentioned, and grew up here. And when I was in my 20s, I developed this great passion to go to Israel. I was a Christian. I knew the Bible. But it was when I discovered the recent history of Israel and then more about the Jewish people, that's when I was uh, really longing to go to Israel, to go to Jerusalem, and I really wanted to work there. So I was very, very fortunate because I came to Israel in the 80s and I was given a job with the Anglican School in Jerusalem in Prophets Street. And it was there that I met an Israeli woman called Annabelle Persiger. Now, many years later, Annabelle would ask me to write the story of her father, who had been an Auschwitz survivor. And later he um, came out, he became quite a famous artist, and his story is very amazing and very dramatic. So um, that was what led to my eventually writing that story. Uh, but meanwhile, I did spend many years living in Israel, and I worked for different Christian ministries, including the Christian Embassy, Middle East Television, and it was a very wonderful, challenging, enriching experience. And I learned so much um, about Israel, about the Jewish people. Uh, it's really an unfolding journey to learn um, more about this um, people that uh, Christians and Jews, our, our lives are History is very, very intertwined, and we need one another so much. And so uh, it's been really the adventure of a lifetime. Wow. And um, so when I in, uh, I did come back to Australia for a time, then back to uh, Israel, and then I met a very wonderful Canadian man called David Richardson. And David was a romantic. And um, he'd written a very famous love song called um, Wildflower. And, uh, but, and he shared my great love for Israel. Anyway, so we got married in Christchurch in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, David Pelegi married us. And um, we had 10 very happy years together. Um, we went back to Canada for the last couple of years. And that was another wonderful experience because Canada is a very beautiful country. Yeah. So very thankful to have lived in all these amazing places. And um, Dave very sadly passed away three years ago. And since that time, I, I know, I felt that we would have come back together and I felt that I should come back on my own. And my heart is so much in Israel. So that is uh, what I'm currently hoping to do. Uh, meanwhile, I'm back in Australia at the present time, and I have family here, sisters here, and I'm really loving having time with them. Good. Mm -hmm. I, I want to interject because you can never have too many good people praying for you um, and without going into all the details. But Leslie and I met when she had come back to, to Jerusalem for a brief period, but with a desire to be here long term, and that and that means not as a tourist. And so with great integrity, Leslie went back to Australia to apply for the proper visa. And I just want to ask everybody listening to please join me in prayer. Maybe by the time this is uh, that this is um, uh, published, this this podcast, maybe you'll already have your visa, but we can't have too many people praying for good things for good. So so we want Leslie to be able to get her visa and, and, and come back here long term as she as she desires, and I think properly should be. Um, Leslie, <laughs> what, yeah. your bio in the book that we did together um, said, speaks about your latest book being Creating Beauty from the Abyss. Um, mm. What, what, did, what did, did you do before? Share some of your other writing experiences before that. Okay. So that is actually my third book. The first book I wrote was actually based on the memoirs of my husband, David who had really had quite an amazing and dramatic life with many, many adventures. So I published that back in 2011, something like that. 
And then I wrote another book, which was kind of on the theology and history of uh, the feasts of Israel. And I kind of looked at both Christian celebration of those Jewish feasts, because all the Christian celebrations are based on that biblical background, on that Jewish background. And um, that was published, and that was called Bible Gems from Jerusalem. Okay. And that was published in 2014. And that's really, you know, things I love writing about, theology, history, Israel. And I'm actually working on another a, a sequel to that, another book, um, you know, based on the same kind of idea, following the Jewish peace throughout the year and reflecting on the landscape of Israel, the history of Israel, just drawing in all these things. And I'm trying to present all the time the beauty of Israel, the beauty of the scriptures, the wonder of Israel, um, the greatness of our um, calling uh, to this life. So um, many, many things that uh, I try to uh, emphasize. Got it. Um... Okay, that's that's wonderful. Now you mentioned being here in the eighties, working at the Anglican school. You met Annabelle Herzeger, who was Sam's uh Sam's daughter. daughter. Did yeah. did you when you met her, did you know about her father? How because I want to get into the story, but I want to get to the story about how you got the prequel, if you will. How did you get how do we get to you writing Sam's story? Okay. Well, I did know that her father was an Auschwitz survivor, and I did know his story was quite traumatic, but he had passed away by the time I met Annabelle. He passed away in 1981. But at the end, or toward the end of his life, he and his wife, Edith, Annabelle's mother, had made Aliyah to Israel, and they'd actually settled in Arad, which is in the south of Israel, as you know. And Arad is in the desert, and it has a very dry desert climate. And Sam suffered very badly from asthma. And so that was one reason he and Edith decided to settle in Israel. Uh, Sam did have various physical complications, which resulted from his time in the concentration camp. And I think that happens to many Holocaust survivors. But nevertheless... Uh, his life was fruitful and blessed and wonderful in many ways. And he did become a well-known artist. And he and his wife actually established an artist colony in Arad. No and it actually drew artists from all over the country and even from all over the world. And so that was something very um, incredible that they they did there. It's amazing. So, it? Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to say that when I met Annabelle in the 80s and we became friends, I did go with her to Arad. And I remember very vividly um, that journey and uh, the desert atmosphere and the clarity of the air, all those things. But then I, I did lose touch with Annabelle for many, many years. And then when, uh, round, about round about the time I married Dave, I, we ran into one another. And we'd meet for coffee. And then one day, we're sitting in Cafe Rumon in Benihuda Street. In oh, Chicago. that's where we met. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a very special place. Okay. And I'd encourage everyone to go. So, um, and it goes back to the 1950s, that cafe. And I actually put it into the book as well. I couldn't resist. But, so we're sitting there and Annabelle then broached this subject of writing the book of her father's life. What had happened was her mother had taken notes from Sam uh, about his experiences and she'd taken them down in French. That was, they made Elia from Belgium. And uh, Annabelle said, if I translate these into English, will you turn them into a book? And so I thought, you know, don't undertake that lightly. But I said, I feel like this was something I had to do. It was very important. And so I said yes. And I approached the task with some trepidation. And I really thought it would not be a long-term project, but it actually turned into that because what I discovered was I had all these details of Sam's journey, 
But all the time I was trying to think, well, what is happening at this on the political? What's happening? He was from Poland. What's happening in Poland? What's happening with Israel and Zionism? What's happening uh, with in Germany with these? You mean you're, you're talking about as his life is unfolding, yeah. what's going on in the wider world around him? Yes, I needed to be able to put him against his background in context. The context, not just being so a we, Jew in Europe, which was a bad thing at the yeah. time. You, yes, and um, you know, for example, uh, so Sam was born in Poland. And that's a whole kind of area of uh, interest or scholarship or, or learning, uh, the whole relationship with Jews, um, with the Polish people and the Catholics. And, you know, there's a long history there. And why was there suffering and struggle? And then uh, Sam really, really desired to study art. But because he came from an Orthodox family, this was frowned upon. But he was uh, so determined. And he had this idea, which was false, but that he could go to the Soviet Union and it would be (laughs) exactly an absolute paradise for writers. Don't don't give away the story. That was a that was a a, an unbelievable part of the story. Yes, but let's not give it. Yeah. So so that drew in Russia, and then um, he he went across. He decided to study art eventually in Belgium and uh, the Royal Academy there. And that meant he crossed Germany in 1937 as things are becoming very, very intense and difficult for the Jewish people. But what I learned about Sam was this drive and this determination uh, to um, reach his life's goal and to develop this artistic gift, this inspiration that he had, uh, his courage, and this dauntless spirit yeah. that led him on and through all these dangers. And so he did get to uh, Belgium. He did study art, but then the war broke out. He was in hiding. He was, oh, he, he tried to escape into um, uh, Spain at one stage and he was picked up in a concentration camp south of France called Gour, which had its own horror story. Uh, he escaped from there. Oh, you know, he was in <laughs> I mean, he has so many adventures, and I was busy trying to keep track of him. Where is he? What's happening? What's going on? (laughs) You you had to learn early twenty early twenty first twentieth century European history in order to properly tell his story, not just where he was and what he did and what happened to him, Mm -hmm. but as you said, the context. And Mm -hmm. and, and you did it remarkably well. It really gives a um a beautiful beautiful it's so conflicting for me Uh, even even i before i read your book i was bothered by the title creating beauty from the abyss It, it it because how can you have beauty in something that was so horrible and it made me think oh dear now i'm losing track of the name of the film there was a movie that was done that was sort of an an italian movie if i remember correctly an uplifting Holocaust story about, and I think it was a real story, and mm. it bothered me because the the Holocaust mm. isn't uplifting. Mm. It shouldn't be uplifting. No. It should no. be mournful. Yeah. But you, not yeah. only in in his life, and yeah. but your his your narration of that, you really mm. created beauty in a way that was not only entirely appropriate, but mm. it couldn't have been done without it. And it's in and it's enlightening. It's a it's an important breath of fresh air not to take away the horrors and Sam suffered many. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I, I want to um, take a break and I want to come mm-hmm. back and pick up, up specifically on a word that you just used. Uh, it's, it's important to dig down a little bit deeper, but let's just take a quick break. Leslie. Do you have children or know somebody who does? If the answer is yes, you need to hear this. This year, in celebration of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has launched an incredible art contest for your children and Christian children all around the world. The contest, What Israel Means to Me, gives your children the opportunity to show why Israel is special to them through art. They can draw, paint, color, or illustrate this in any way they want. The contest will be judged according to different age groups, with real prizes awarded to the winners. 
please visit whatisraelmeanstome.com for details, contest rules, and how to register your child. Deadline for submission of all entries is in April, and the announcement of winners will be at a live event on May 14th. Please don't delay in registering your child, and please share this with others who will also want their children to participate. Visit whatisraelmeanstome.com and join us today. Okay, Leslie, there, there were two things. I mentioned the word. I'm going to come back to the word. I wrote it down. But there was something when you, you were just speaking about Sam and his life and, and from his very early days. When he went, when he was, when he left Poland, how old was he? Late teens? Uh, so um, when he left home for the first time to sort of earn a trade and you know, be an artist, he was 14. Uh, when he went into Russia, he would have been late teens. Late teens. Uh, when he traveled across Germany in 19, he, he was exactly 20 when he went across Germany in Got 1937. It. Got it. He was born in 1917. Okay. So that, so that's helpful. And it gives context because you and I are mature adults. Most people listening are mature adults. We follow our drive in life, but to think about somebody who's, who's a teenager and then 20 Mm -hmm. years ago Mm -hmm. fleeing to to be able to study art but going but but necessarily having to go through nazi germany not you can't Mm -hmm. get a flight and fly from poland to to belgium that wasn't Mm -hmm. maybe it was possible but not realistic um Mm -hmm. the fact that he pursued all his life's dream all these years in so many ways, despite the horrors that he suffered personally and the circumstances, the Holocaust killed 6 million, not the Holocaust, the Nazis and their partners murdered 6 million Jews during the Holocaust and many, many survivors lives were broken. And it's remarkable that Sam, despite all the suffering, pursued that and succeeded at it. Um, I want to mm-hmm. encourage people again to get the book and read about it. But the word you used before, Leslie, you approached this with trepidation. Why? Uh, well, the Holocaust is something that the scale of it is uh, historically is beyond anything we've seen uh, in our human experience. We, um, the the scale of what happened and the evil and the suffering is something beyond our comprehension. And um, I would not want to write about the Holocaust and uh, diminish it in any way uh, or even claim to be able to explain it away or to um, uh, give reasons for it. We can give reasons, but finally, what happened there is something beyond human understanding. Um, And there are so many profound questions that it raises, uh, and I was very aware of that. And um, so we go in treading very lightly, and I think that what I said at the beginning is the best way to approach what happened at that time Six million, you know, every one of them was an individual with individual yearnings and plans and a life that was incredibly a gift and so important. So um, I think that the best way we can approach the Holocaust is to look at these individual stories and in that way it impacts us personally. We have this relationship with that person. And I certainly developed this relationship with Sam as I read the notes, as I pondered his story, as I wrote about him, it was this um, kind of this understanding of his courage, wow. his personality, uh, his um, his integrity that um, made the book much more real to me and I believe more real to others. Leslie, I have an interesting, I didn't think about it. You grew up in... Uh... In Australia, did you ever? Mm. Well, actually, it's an interesting question because Australia has one of the highest ratios among the Jewish community of of Holocaust survivors. When did you first meet and hear experiences of a Holocaust survivor in your life? 
Okay, good question, because I'm from Brisbane originally, you know, there are many, many Jewish people in Melbourne. Not so there is a uh, Jewish community in Brisbane, but interestingly enough, my, my father's closest friend was a Jewish man called Cyril Borscht. And uh, they were in the, both in the RAAF in the Second World War. Wow. And Cyril was actually taken prisoner. Um, and he was in a, a German camp. Uh, but he was an officer, so he actually escaped quite lightly. But um, he was uh, he was a gifted artist, and he's done a beautiful book of uh, drawings that he did uh, while he was in this camp. And um, his daughter Jenny Jenny is a good friend of mine, and I said to her, "This book should go to Yad Vashem, and I will follow that up." But wow. meanwhile, um, Sai, as we called him, was my father's best friend, and um, we called him Mr. B and we loved him dearly. But interestingly enough, I had no knowledge of what had really happened. Uh, that was something that was unfolded to me many, many years later. And I think it's um, a shame that in the um, schools, uh, in the school system here, at least at that time, that that history was not taught. Uh, I do believe it's changed now. But this was something... My knowledge of what had happened to the Jewish people is something that had to develop over many, many years. It's interesting. It's fascinating. And this is a complete digression from where I thought our conversation would go. I, I had the privilege to be in Australia twice when two different daughters went to do a year of national service in the Jewish communities in Melbourne and Sydney, respectively. Mm-hmm. And when we first visited Sydney, there I think it's called the Jewish Museum. And so we went, we went there for, for interest, but we went there because it was one of the few kosher places you could get kosher food. And so we went yeah. and had lunch and we were speaking over lunch and the museum bothers, bothered me then and still does a little bit that rather than being a museum of Jewish history, it was really a museum of Holocaust history. And of course, I have no problem with that, but I understood during, the, during our visits that it's very rare in Australia today, and then mm-hmm. 10 years ago, to have people who are not the my contemporaries, who are not the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, uh, or if they had grandparents uh, who, who survived, or some, obviously someone did. Very, very rare. I remember one woman we were, we met who felt as an, as she, she was an outcast in her own Jewish community, because none of her grandparents were survivors. She couldn't relate to everyone else. But I was speaking with my wife and daughter and a friend of hers about how I was disturbed by the by the fact that this Jewish museum was really a Holocaust museum. And we have so much more in Judaism. And the director walked by and overheard and he took exception with what I said and and said, well, we bring in, I think his number, we 180,000 Australian students to learn about the Holocaust. And I said, that's very good. It's important. But mm. then call it then call it a Holocaust museum, not a Jewish museum, because our our mm. history is defined by much more than mm. uh, than exactly. the Holocaust. And and the yeah. reason I even thought to bring it up now, you and your mm. own personal situation, is that you had the privilege of living here. You met Annabelle. You met posthumously mm. Sam. You've certainly met other survivors. You understand that this week, when we observe Holocaust Memorial Day, Yom Hashoah, that it's a day of national mourning and and storytelling and commemoration um it's a serious bit of our calendar but for most Mm. christians around the world there's Mm. no interaction there's no Mm. knowledge they have never had the privilege that you had Mm. of meeting Mm. did you feel that did you feel like there was a special um oh what's the word responsibility you had beyond just telling Sam's story, but to tell Sam's story with perhaps people like yourself in different parts of the world who really had never heard it? Uh, I think so. But I think every time you tell that one of these Holocaust survivor stories or a Holocaust story at all, that is what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I take your point. Yeah. Jewish history is, um, is vast. It's so comprehensive. And um, it is. But the Holocaust is nevertheless such a particular part of that. Yes. And um, maybe that is something that uh, is a way 
to impact people and open their eyes, and then they can start researching more about the Jewish Excellent. people and thinking more about them. And okay, so you just used the word that I wanted to come to, but on a personal level, in in researching and writing mm-hmm. Sam's story, what impacted you the most? Uh, what, <laughs> well, there's so many things. Um, I think just, I think when I came, uh, because I had to do so much research, because I was going in so many areas, I was bringing in uh, Zionism, I was bringing in what was happening in Israel, I was bringing in Poland, and that whole interaction, that whole uh, history of the Jews in Poland. I was talking about what was happening in Germany. Then I was, because Sam was an artist, I was desiring to relate um, the history of art, uh, bring that into the story, especially as he was going to the Netherlands, which was such an important art center for so many centuries and for such amazing art. Uh, But I think when I got to actually writing about the experience of Auschwitz itself, that was, you know, um, Jonathan, when you write something like this, it's really... Uh, you're, it's draining your, um, your, uh, emotional, um, resp- responses. It's, it's, um, challenging you, ch- challenging you intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, and I think I did want to present the war, uh, World War II itself as something that was going to, was so cataclysmic and would, in which a whole civilization, a whole way of life, uh, a whole culture was in threat of extinction. And I wanted to present it as part of the background of Sam's story as this uh, titanic struggle that was taking part, that was taking place. And many, many people were involved. But it was like the Jewish people themselves, it caught up in this, were at the extreme place in this struggle and I think when I got to um, Auschwitz that was the most intense part of the um, the whole journey that I took in writing this story uh, because I had to um, I had to read I had to ponder I had to think and think about these unthinkable things and um, I think one of the Ideas and because Sam didn't write so much about that, you know, you had to kind of go behind the scenes and imagine, and you had to ponder why is this happening and what's happening on a spiritual level. And uh, so I turned to various um, writers who considered this in a very profound way. And so I was trying to find my way ahead in this. What am I going to say about this? I couldn't ignore that side of it. I couldn't. That was something I had to broach. And I, as I'm talking to you, what jumps into my mind is a scene that I wrote and I um, imagined it, but it could certainly have happened. And that was when Sam was called with all the other inmates on Sundays to the Apfelplatz and they would, they would bring out the camp orchestra and the, they'd make the prisoners sit down and this motley orchestra, this rag and bone group of people, from all over Europe would be there, like, you know, in ragged clothes, looking like scarecrows, and they'd be holding this musical instrument and they'd start playing, and the SS men would be dancing and having a great time. And so I've got Sam and he's listening to this music. And um, I pondered what might be going through his mind. And I thought, you know, this music, there were these, these, this orchestra that's playing out of this place of humiliation and suffering, but they're playing this divine music. And it's music that's been composed by Bach or Beethoven or uh, the great composers. Wow. And they intended that music for the glory of God and to, to you know, the exaltation of the spirit and they could never have imagined that their music would be played at such a place in such a context. Um, and I imagined 
what it would be like to have this music um, rushing over their souls, as it were. And um, so I write about things like this, and I'm trying to relate it to what was taking place in Sam's spirit, in his soul, that it eventually enabled him to bring forth these works, which, <laughs> interestingly, we also discussed this term beauty. It, it, were the works that he created really beautiful in the accepted sense? Yes. Um, but uh, maybe we have to enlarge our idea about beauty. Wow. If it's this triumph of the spirit over everything that was thrown against him, over all everything that he suffered, that he still was able to come out and create works that were going to profoundly impact the beholder. Yes. Uh, you know, I I feel that, you know, I did play with this, you know, that scripture from Isaiah, beauty from ashes. And I think that what happened with the Holocaust survivors, yes, they did create beauty from ashes. They did take these the most horrific experiences that anyone could undergo. And they have triumphed over them in the sense that the, so many of them that I have learned or met um, have taken, have used their lives, have celebrated their lives, have yes. rejoiced their lives, yes. despite all the residual suffering that they've had to yes. undergo. Right. Not just beauty in the sense of, of art, but beauty in, in their lives and being able to celebrate. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately... Mm -hmm. This week, and I have not seen the number this week, we always count the number of Holocaust survivors who are remaining, meaning the numbers mm. who have passed away. And it's always in the somewhere 15 to 20,000 every year are dying. And in the next generation, mm. there will be none. But typically, and the number doesn't change very much, typically about 25% of the Holocaust survivors here in Israel living below the poverty line. And that's why we... Mm do what we do through the Genesis One Two Three Foundation to try to be a blessing to them. Mm. Uh, just last month, we participated in a pre-Passover uh, celebration, giving gifts and spiritual encouragement. But even, and it's actually very interesting relating to you, Leslie, They we, we give them the opportunity to share their stories. And, mm. and they want to. They, boy, oh boy, do they want to be heard. And, and, and yes. even if they're just sitting around a room of other Holocaust survivors, it's mm. reaffirming. It, it, it's a mm. blessing to them. Mm. Um, mm. Let's see how we. I want to take. Let's take a quick break, and I want to come back and ask you um, one more. One more. I think significant thing about uh, about Sam's story, creating beauty from the abyss, and then move on to our project together. But let's just take a quick break. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with a Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day -day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. 
We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Okay, Leslie. Um, oh, you know what? I have to make an observation. I I like to be able to see people when I'm speaking to them. Some people will record a podcast just through audio. I we Listeners who follow this know I do a video. You and I are looking at each other live right now. Um, and I, I prefer that. I like to be able to see who I'm speaking to. I like to see facial expressions. I like to be able to wave my hands it, frantically if someone's going on too long. We have not done that for the record. If someone's speaking too long uh, or, or, or something like that. But one, something that just impressed me deeply when you were speaking about, about um, what impacted you is you weren't looking at me. You're looking... Mm-hmm. You're looking into the, you, you were literally not looking at the screen. You were looking into the story. You were pr- you put yourself there. And it was fascinating, not just hearing that, but seeing that. And, and because this is an audio, nobody has the privilege of having experienced what I just experienced with you placing yourself there. But I needed to highlight it. This, this was not just Leslie Richardson speaking about an experience, but really, truly, literally putting herself into it. Um, thank you. It, it speaks miles about yourself, but also how you've internalized this. So now that you've internalized this the way you have, you never met Sam. You read his um, transla- a translated transcript of stories that were recounted. But if, you were, if, if it wasn't me today, if, or if Sam was joining us, what would you want to ask him? What do you want to know that you didn't get to know about Sam? <laughs> oh, I um, um, I remember Annabelle said something to me uh, about her father. And she said to me that uh, she had never, oh, a few things coming to mind. So um, now when Sam did get married uh, again, his uh, he uh, he didn't want to have children because this world was so, he'd been through so much. And I guess he was, uh, he had trepidation bringing a child into the world. Uh, but his wife, <laughs> Edith, she had other ideas. <laughs> so they did have two children. And one, of course, was Annabelle, my friend. And um, I remember Annabelle telling me that, she had never seen her father laugh, never heard him laugh. Wow. And that really struck me. And I would like to ask him if he really did find happiness or peace. Or um, I know he, he was a deeply religious, a deeply spiritual man, uh, but, um, you know, did he have a faith in God? You know, how did he how did he process what he had gone through, or did it just all come out in the art? Um, so one day, I hope that I will meet him and I will ask him. <laughs> wow, that's very that's very powerful. Um, good. Let's move on, uh, Leslie, to the, the project that connected us. Um, Last month, we here in Jerusalem got to finally revive the Run for Zion program that we launched in 2019, bringing Christians to participate in and around the Jerusalem Marathon um, as a Christian experience. And, And part of what we do is connect people to really meaningful and important, what I'll say, social service projects that we fund as part of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation through proceeds that we raise as donations from Run for Zion and other such projects. The the commercials that we insert here are announcements of opportunities for people to connect with Israel mm-hmm. and provide a financial and material blessing. One of them is Holocaust survivors, and it's very hard today to do a show and tell with Holocaust survivors. Um, but through through family friends, the Raviv family, 
I was able to connect a, both uh, Miriam, who's the mother, and Ayal, who's uh, one of her one of her three sons and lives here in Israel, um, mm-hmm. are athletic, and they both participated in the run. They ran together, even with Ayal's, um, I think, eleven year old daughter. So it was a three generation family experience from a Jewish family. And I don't remember how we got into the conversation, though I had once met Miriam's mother, who, by the way, is a contemporary or what was a contemporary of Sam. She was born just five years after Sam, but she's still alive. And next month we celebrate her hundredth birthday. And we wanted to do something, right? It is. And when we, and you didn't even know that she was alive still. No, so we're doing, we're doing this to celebrate. I'm doing this by way of leading in how we got, we wanted to celebrate her life and it's remarkable. And she's still well, I mean, she's a hundred almost, but yeah. she's well, she knows that the book has been published. She was grateful. Um, she wasn't with us, but we did a beautiful thing, inviting the Raviv family to join us on Friday night dinner which I wish I had recorded. We don't do recordings on Friday night on Shabbat, but I wish I had recorded. Um, And I'll share some of the experiences that we had there. But the idea was to connect Christian participants from Africa, from the Philippines, from across America. I think that was all um, who participated this year with what we do, where the money goes. And the way we did that was by sharing Sarah's story, or the title of the book is called Bubby. Bubby in Yiddish means grandmother. And when I was asking, going back to the beginning of my introduction, I was looking for someone to help write it. We had a, like, like Annabelle's family, they had a transcript. We had a transcript. It was over a hundred pages and I needed someone who would condense it. And you, first of all, with Christine's recommendation, and our visit, I knew immediately that this was something not only that would be a privilege to work together, but you were the perfect person to tell her story on so many levels. And you volunteered. You you not only said you would do it without compensation, but refused to take compensation for this. Um, why? Why? <laughs> why did you jump in like that? <laughs> oh, okay. So... <laughs> Well, after this mammoth effort I put in for Sam's book, and because the whole, I'd done so much research, and because it was something so close to my heart, and so here's this book that um, I felt was, I could do, that was within my um, range of skills and the knowledge that I'd acquired. And so I just, um, you know, I felt like writing Sam's book in a way, it's it's my gift to the Jewish people. It's my way of saying, I honor you. I honor um, everything I received from you. I honor your people. I know, you know, I'm aware of what you've gone through. And so I think Sarah's story was smaller and um, there were many beautiful tributes. And I saw straight away how that it was a ve- another really amazing story. Um, but I could see that... Um, I could work with what I had and that, um, <laughs> because I had a deadline. True. And, you know, by the way, I, in terms of how you looked at me, how you were, I mentioned how you were not looking at me before you looked at me this time. It was almost as if I was your taskmaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, it was, it was another challenge, but it was manageable and, uh, and, I knew once again that it would be a privilege to write it. And so I've come in contact with this another amazing story of this incredible woman who went through so much and was able to rebuild her life and not just uh, in a really spectacular way, I have to add. And um, as you say, it's lived to this incredible age of 100 and has been the matriarch of this um, this family in America for these generations and so I take my hat off to Sarah I'm glad that I had that privilege of writing this story and yeah it was uh, an honor to do it so. so what I didn't tell you and I'm glad I waited till now to do it because we're talking about your response um 
so Friday night, we had about, about 30 people gathered in, in a private home doing a traditional Shabbat dinner. And instead of what we had done the day before is we went out and volunteered at a soup kitchen and prepared and served lunch. And then we went and had a briefing in a uh, location where the part of Israel where I live for civilian security briefing because we've been providing resources for communities that live in areas that are dangerous. And we got to bring treats to a bunch of soldiers and bless them and thank them. And then, and this, we brought in the, the story of Holocaust survivors and what we do and why we do it. So my conversation that day was rather than than a show and tell, go and prepare and serve lunch, we had three generations of, of Sarah's family present at dinner. Mm. And for and and for most of the people, the Christians present, they had never met a Holocaust survivor. They never met a family of a Holocaust survivor. So Miriam, Sarah's daughter, was present as as one of her sons, Ayal. Um, her son Ayal is a twin brother of uh, uh, of a good friend and my introduction to their family, Barack. And mm-hmm. I decided we're going to interview them. We're going to have a conversation like you and I are having. A, I called it a unrecorded podcast. And mm-hmm. I so desperately wish people could have been there to hear it. So Miriam mm-hmm. shared about her mother and Ayal shared about her grandmother. Both mm. of them, interesting. You'll you'll find this interesting. They didn't refer to as Bubby like you and I would refer to our grandmother as grandma or grandmother mm. or whatever in Hebrew safta. They referred to her as the Bubby, as a proper noun. She's the, the matriarch, the Bubby, and mm. it was really fascinating to see that. It was a great conversation. At one point, I think it was Miriam who was speaking. That with oh. She noted, we have to point out in her story that Miriam, that Sarah was saved by a Christian family. Her yes. life, and that's, that's another reason why we wanted to tell this specific story. Not all Christians were as upright as, as, uh, as the family that saved her. So people, we're going to give people an opportunity to get a, a copy of, of Sarah's story. Mm-hmm. And Miriam said something to the effect that if it hadn't been for that Christian family, she wouldn't be be there. Her children wouldn't have been there. And her grandchildren, Bubby's great-grandchildren, yeah, wouldn't have yeah. been there. And, and I don't remember how old I think the, 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 the older's granddaughter is, Ahuva. She's Ahava, uh, uh, rather. She's beautiful. Hmm. But when when she heard her grandmother saying, we wouldn't be here, it kind hmm. of shocked her. And this is yeah. a little girl who, who grew, has grown up with her great-grandmother, hmm. a very active presence in mm. her life and then mm. i took it mm. one further step mm. ayal is married to a woman who's filipino who didn't grow up jewish didn't grow mm. up around jews never mm. met a holocaust survivor mm. converted to judaism mm. and i asked her i didn't I, I said i hope i don't put you on the spot but i asked her what's it like when you adopt judaism when you adopt a peoplehood and your grandmother-in-law suffered such unspeakable things. How do you square the circle? And honestly, I so wish we could, maybe we will somehow try to re recapture that. But I wanted you to know that as we told the story and narrating it through the lives of people who had never met a survivor and needed to know the story and everyone got a copy of the book, and I'll also okay. tell you that by the, if I didn't tell you this, um, it was so meaningful to the Raviv family that mm-hmm. you wrote as beautifully as you did and we published it. They asked yeah. for a hundred copies. They, they, it wasn't just <laughs> a novelty. They wanted, they want to share this with people. Oh, so we have them. I gave them a box full of books. Um, yeah. What yeah. did you learn? I, I, that was me going on for a little bit. I wanted to present the context, but what was different about Sarah's story, in a, in, a, in a way, creating beauty, right? Her life was a, it has been a successful life. But what was different and meaningful about writing her story as 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 compared to or in addition to Sam's story? Well, I think just she was not actually, Sarah did not actually end up in a camp. But it opened my eyes. She stayed in Poland and what she had to do uh, to survive the war was to um, go into hiding, but 
not in a room or in a building, you know, you hear about these concealed clothes. No, she had to hide in a haystack. And apparently in Poland at the end of the harvest, they have to build these gigantic haystacks, which kind of cover the countryside. So here was Sarah and her brothers and um, her, the man who would end up being her husband. They had to burrow into this haystack. Uh, and they lived in this haystack for over two years. Yeah. And when I thought about the actual conditions, it just passes any kind of, you know, how do they live in there? And, you know, the, the, the Nazi soldiers would be out there with dogs. There was a threat of betrayal. How did they get food? You know, they, what about in winter? You know, it was absolutely freezing. How did they actually survive? And so it was just another glimpse of, the myriad sufferings that this people was forced to endure during this time. Yeah. And um, I think also, well, like Sam, um, Sarah rebuilt her life. Um, but the whole journey to America and the whole um, uh, aspect that America brought in, and it was such a, a you know, a, a glimpse of America and it was a very, uh, fantastic time in America after the war. You know, America was opening her doors. The immigrants were flooding in. It was such a time of opportunity. Uh, and, um, you know, we know that, um, the movie industry is booming. We're just seeing how the influx of Jewish people is also transforming the face of America. And we see that Sarah, who arrives in this new country after being driven from pillar to post in uh, after the war in Poland, is able. She hardly speaks the language, but she's in there. She takes a li the little bit of savings she and her husband have, and they start investing in New York real estate. She's a woman. She can hardly speak the language, and just the sheer courage and drive after everything she'd been through <laughs> really just blew me away. So um, I, 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 I pray as we as we ask people to pray at the beginning. I pray that you'll get to come back here soon and then and actually have the opportunity to meet her. I think that I would be you. really special. Um, I want to I want to wrap up with just a couple of things, uh, Leslie. This has been really so delightful. Um, as a Christian, as an author, um, as someone who's now told the story of two Holocaust survivors, how do you approach and what do you want other Christians to know specifically in this generation, the last generation in which there will be survivors living among us, how do you approach Holocaust denial? Yes. Um, well, I think what I feel very, very strongly is that um, I would urge all Christians, I think part of the problem is just sheer ignorance. I think that there's... Um, elements in the media that are pushing this kind of um, rhetoric. Uh, I think it behooves every Christian, and I would urge every single Christian, everyone that has a true faith, to um, understand that our lives, our faith, our course is irrevocably bound up with the Jewish people. And we have a debt to them that, Paul spoke about in the New Testament we have, that, that is so enormous and um, we need to understand the history of the Jewish people. We need to understand in particular what happened to them over the past 2,000 years. And, you know, I'm, I'm writing a particular article at the moment um, for this new book that I want to um, publish eventually. And I'm pondering these very things. I'm pondering the um, things that took place in the Holocaust and how these things could even have come to pass. What historical uh, elements came together that such a terrible thing could happen in the very heart of Christian Europe. And I feel that this is something that every single Christian needs to grapple with. I feel that replacement theology is the single greatest heresy that has entered the church and it's been the most damaging. It's cut Christians off from our, our source, our spiritual source. 
and it's weakened us and um, it's impoverished us. And there's so much richness in understanding the Jewish roots of our faith and in relationship with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, we can all enrich one another. But I think that what I'm writing, what I've just written in this particular article is that uh, we need to ponder the history of the Jews over the past 2,000 years. We need to think about the part where the church has failed. Uh, Paul warned us in his letter to the Romans that we were not to be arrogant, that we were to be humble. And I think we need to examine our hearts. And I think when we look at the history of the Jews, if we really sit down and study it, it's going to pierce our hearts so deeply that we will come in humility and love to the Jewish people. And I pray it's not too late. Well, I mean, meeting someone like you, Jonathan, gives me hope that there is hope for reconciliation between <clears throat> Jews, for true friendship and true love between Jews and Christians. We can't undo the past, but that we can move forward uh, and honour one another and um, bless one another. And uh, so I honour you for this work that you're doing and uh, very glad to have a small part in it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, that means a lot. Um, lastly, for now, uh, you had connected me with Annabelle. Um, Annabelle, first of all, fascinating just to meet people of different backgrounds here who are my neighbors and, and I'm grateful. But Annabelle, because her father was an artist and because we are running this fabulous art contest for Christian children, uh, called mm. What Israel Means to Me, um, mm. people can visit the website and, and, and check that out. Um, we're looking for uh, people to be judges of all backgrounds, Jews, Christians, people with artistic background, people who don't have mm. artistic background, but we're doing this fabulous project mm. that next month there'll be a, uh, uh, um, oh, in June we're announcing the winner, but next month people can submit their their uh, children's art projects until representing whatever Israel means. And I thought it might be nice to perpetuate Sam's memory to have Annabelle um as one of the judges and she immediately said yes uh, i'm just curious i don't know that we've really spoken about it but i as long as we're speaking what do you what's your thought why is that if assuming it is why is that a meaningful kind of a project with, um, the art contest. yeah art contest with children drawing illustrating what israel means to them christian children well i think that anything that is going to call upon our creative abilities and it's going to cause us to ponder um, is going to be something enriching. And I think that I think, I don't know if you've had any uh, artworks flooding in as yet, but I would think that the responses that you will get and the variety of them and the angles and the, uh, the viewpoints and the um, the things that they say might actually be really astonishing and very rich and open our eyes to aspects of Israel that we, you know, they say out of the mouth of chill, out of the mouth That's of babes. That's it. You know? Yes. Out of yeah. the mouth of the babes. So from the crayons of babes. Yes, yeah, uh, th that's the idea, yeah. and I and I and you and I haven't really spoken about it, but I yeah. guess I guess I get the opportunity to do a shameless plug for the for our, one of our own projects, but it but it was also because of a connection to Annabelle, and in a sense perpetuating Sam's involvement in this art project, and I and I wanted to tie that in today, uh, Leslie. This has been so delightful. We've chatted by email in the last uh, several weeks putting to bed the project and I have something I'll send them to you uh, as well. But so you actually have physical copies um, and you can see yourself, but um, what a delight, what a blessing. I'm, I'm so grateful to that Christine connected us and mm -hmm. that you said yes. And that you did such a beautiful job. And I, and I do want to encourage, I've read, read a lot of books about the Holocaust. I've um, studied a lot about the Holocaust my own family history inevitably is Holocaust related with many of my own relatives. 
um, uh, a few surviving, most dying, and my my own father never having had grandparents as a result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm grateful and blessed, and thank you for being part of this. And I look forward to other things that we'll do together. And I really want to encourage everybody this week, as we observe Yom HaShoah, the uh, Holocaust Memorial Day, if you do nothing else, go to go go to Amazon or online and 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 find and buy a copy of uh, of Leslie's book Creating Beauty from the Abyss um and 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 either begin or continue to educate yourselves about about what happened and and the personal stories. Leslie, thank you so much for joining Inspiration from Zion today. Thank you Jonathan very much. Now for those who have followed Inspiration from Zion the last now almost is it two years, year and a half, two years? We've had this great, great project and people love it and it's engaging. Um, we ask every month people to go on our social media and follow and like Inspiration from Zion and share the uh, link to this episode. So if you do that this this month, this for this episode, um, we're going to give you a free copy of um, Bubby's story. We're going to pick a copy and we're going to pick a person who does that this month. And that is our giveaway. However, because it is this special book, because it's a project that we've worked on together, because this month is the month in which we are observing uh, Holocaust Memorial Day, I want to ask and invite everybody. You've heard the commercials added here in the in the course of our conversation. Anybody who makes a donation of any amount to our Hug a Holocaust Survivor program will receive an electronic copy of Bubby's story, of Sarah's story that Leslie beautifully wrote. So that is from our project called From Jonathan's Bookshelf. And it's a little bit more of a long intro than I usually do, but I want to encourage everybody this month to make some donation and receive a copy and you will be blessed as well. We're always grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and want to stop in and thank them for making conversations like this possible, please do so. And also special thanks to our friends, the Coin family, for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all of the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So in addition to... Blessing Holocaust survivors. If you'd like to consider joining us to help continue the dialogue, please do so. Um, this episode is sponsored in memory of Sam Herziger, uh, and in honor of Sarah's hundredth birthday next month and, and Leslie with you, uh, and telling their beautiful stories or telling their stories so beautifully. If you or anyone you know would like to sponsor uh, an episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments as well as part of a dialogue and specifically about our Ask the Rabbi programs and ask you to send your comments and questions as well. Please consider sh- sharing this episode with anyone who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics in and relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.